All right, let's do this. Oh, we're on, Ryan. We're on. I just wanted to mention Ryan's name on the podcast. That's Ryan Murphy. He's an attorney and wants to work in some trust department or something. I don't know. What is, what is your deal? I don't know. Okay. Anyway, you do know Jesus, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see you all. Uh, so this thing is going to make me crazy. All right. Um, spiritual gifts. If you want to have your Bibles ready to go, it's Romans 12, and then eventually we'll get to Ephesians 4. Uh, so week one of this, this is week three. Week one was our intro, and we made the case that if you read through the New Testament, you realize that Jesus had one lone strategy for reaching the world for the gospel, and that was the church. And then we asked, who is the church? And we said, well, these four, no, we said us. Uh, and then we asked, well, and how is he going to do that work through his church? And it was by equipping the saints, equipping us with uh, spiritual gifts. So in week one, we laid the groundwork. We talked about what is a gift and what is not a gift. A gift is not the fruit of the spirit. It's not a talent or a strength, and it's not a spiritual discipline. Though all of those things can enhance the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us, they are not the spiritual gifts. And we talked about what the purpose of the gifts are, uh, is, and that is to build up the church and to serve one another, uh, to be able to strengthen the church. And it's not for the glory of the individual who has the gift, but it's rather, rather um, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Um, and then in week two, we went very deep into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we looked at the issue of spiritual gifts through the problems the Corinthians were causing by the misuse, the misapplication, and the lording over others of the gifts. And we spent some time defining some of the 24 or 26 gifts, uh, at least the ones listed in, in uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And we talked about how the gifts are individually and diversely given to members of the church, but that the church is one body and we're to be unified in the gifts, not divided, but they tend to divide people, like everything else, because we're humans. And finally, we, reminded, we were reminded that if the gifts are not practiced and manifested, first and foremost with love, then please, as Tony on Seinfeld would say, step off. So tonight, okay, we don't really say that in the church, but I was just quoting somebody else. Uh, tonight is week three of the four weeks. Remember, next week is Ash Wednesday, so we'll wrap up this series on March 1st with week four. We're going to, uh, tonight, look at how Paul frames the spiritual gift issue in Romans 12 and, and Ephesians 4, and then we'll talk about how the manifestation and expression of the gifts are a part of, as Paul says in so many places, walking in a manner that is worthy of your calling in the gospel. That's the big theme for tonight. And then, of course, we'll define more of the gifts, all the gifts that are mentioned in these two passages that weren't mentioned last week. We'll define those as well. So here we go. I'm going to read uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, and then we'll come back and just sort of take it a little bit of uh, like a chunk at a time. I appeal to you, therefore, that 
That word therefore is important, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, I appeal to you therefore, uh, brothers and you sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think more highly of yourself than he ought, uh, than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of, uh, members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with perfectly, with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. So uh, Paul's style, as he writes the gen his general epistles to churches, uh, maybe not necessarily in his more personal letters, but in his general epistles to churches, his style is to first lay out heavy doctrine. It's about the gospel. And he does that for the first half or 60% of the letter. Uh, and this is, you can see it in Galatians, you can see it in Ephesians, you can see it in Romans. So he does really heavy doctrine for the first part of the letter. And then you see a therefore in the text. And we saw that in verse uh, 1 of chapter 12. Okay, uh, The therefore is transitioning from the gospel doctrine section of the letter to what's, what we would call the practical application of the gospel to our lives. Um, in other words, he says, because this is true, the gospel is true, this is how your life should be affected, how it should look, and how you should, uh, the Greek colloquialism for it is how you should walk, uh, how you should walk in your life, Okay. So the, the, um, the Latin word for that is praxis. This is, uh, in Romans, we're starting in, verse, in chapter 12, we're starting the praxis uh, part of the letter, the practical application. How many of you know the original uh, name of our church? Praxis. It was praxis. So it was praxis, Tempe, and Arcadia that merged with East Valley Bible Church to become Redemption Church. Uh, so Justin Anderson had named the church Praxis. Anyway, I like that. Um, anyway, so these two verses, uh, verses 1 and 2 in Romans 12, constitute some of the most important gospel application we find in all the Bible. And it is after these two verses that Paul moves into the discussion of the spiritual gifts. So in other words, uh, if, if you're looking at context, the spiritual gifts are really important. 
And he does, as he does in so many of the other letters at this point, Paul is saying, since this gospel doctrine is true, this is how you should walk in a manner according to the calling to which you have been called. So walk in a manner is a Greek colloquialism that means live out your life. Live your life this way, okay? So look at verse one again. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, okay? So verse one, uh, what is the number one core value of Redemption Church? We say it every Sunday, anybody? All of life is all for Jesus. That is Romans 12.1. That is a great summary of that verse, okay? And he says, present your entire being for serving and worshiping God because of the gospel as a result of your salvation, not to become saved, but as a result of your salvation, um, you will present yourself as a spiritual act of worship. And I think I covered this a couple Sundays ago, but the, the two Hebrew words in the Old Testament that are translated worship and the two uh, Greek words that are translated worship in the New Testament. So you see one here at the end of verse one, your spiritual worship. Those, the root of each of those four words, Hebrew and Greek, the root literally means to serve. So to worship is to serve. To worship is to serve God. We get this all backwards. And I mentioned it on Sunday. I'll mention it here. That's why it's called a worship service and not a worship consume or a worship take. But the reason we have to talk about that is because of the level of consumerism that has hit the church. We even, if we're looking for a new church, uh, we even talk about it as we're out what? Shopping for a new church. Really, what you should be doing is investigating your new church. You should be investigating their... Um, uh, their statement of faith and, and uh, are they, uh, are they r- really rooted in scripture? Are they gospel-centered? Those are the things you should be looking for, but instead we're shopping for a new church. Is there good ingress and egress in the parking lot? What kind of par- uh, coffee do they, uh, do they serve? Is the music the style that I like? And uh, does the preacher not offend me very often, if at all? Okay. So that's why we have to look at that. And Paul is saying it is an act of service to give your life to God in this way and worship him. Okay. Anyway, and then, let's see, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So lots of stuff there. The word transformed, the Greek word, is metamorpheo. Have you ever, what, what English word do you think we get from metamorpheo? Me- metamorphosis. So we are to, uh, we are going to be, uh, it's like a, a, you know, a cocoon that becomes a butterfly. Okay, so here you go. You were a worm before the gospel, now you're a butterfly. Okay, how's that work for you? All right, but that's the idea of transformation. You will be changed from the inside out. And then it says, it also says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to the liturgies or the pattern of this world. Have you ever talked about how some churches are more liturgical than others? A lot of people think we, we, have, we are a liturgical church. Now, you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, we're not, 
we're not getting up and down and bowing and crossing and doing all this stuff. But in a sense, we are a, a, a liturgical church because we have a liturgy or a pattern in our services that we go through every single Sunday. That is a way of pro, um, proclaiming the gospel all the way through the service. The gospel is not just proclaimed in the message. It is also proclaimed in the music and in the communion and in everything else that we do. And so there is a liturgy. A liturgy, another word for a liturgy, is a repeated pattern of life that forms you. Okay? So Paul is saying, don't be conformed to the liturgies of this world. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. The J.B. Phillips translation of the Bible says it this way. Don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. I think that's a really good uh, word picture. But of course, it's really hard, isn't it? It's hard, especially out in the marketplace. It's really hard to resist that. There's some tension that you have to live with there. And you're going to have to live with some tension. You're going to have to get used to, as Paul says in, in um, Romans 14, you're going to have to get used to issues of conscience. And, and there's going to always be that tension of living as a, as a follower of Christ out in the world where that uh, isn't really the, the liturgy of the world. So he says, you, you want to transform, be transformed by the gospel so that you're living uh, and walking in faith. And he says, what, let me ask you the question, what is supposed to be transformed by this renewal? What is it that we're transforming? What's the word there? The mind. The mind. The mind. Okay, now that's also important as well. Uh, there are many, many people in the faith that would love for the faith to only be about your feelings. And that's it. It's not a thinking faith. It's a feeling faith. Now, every time I bring that up, people say, what do you got against feelings? I have nothing against feelings unless you've decided to ditch all sorts of thinking and logic and rationality for your feelings. And if you were here on January 15th, I talked a lot about this new thing. It's not even that new, but this, uh, this cultural mandate that everybody lived by something called emotional rationalism. Which, if, just think about the term, emotional rationalism, it doesn't even make sense. Okay, it doesn't make sense, but, but that's what rules now is our feelings. Now, what did our founding pastor, Tom Schrader, what was one of the things he was famous for saying? Anybody know? Exactly. Thank you, Randy. And I didn't even tell him to say that. He just knew it. Okay. What you know trumps what you feel. Now, uh, Tom used to complain that since 2016, he couldn't say that anymore because uh, the word trumps was triggering way too many people. Okay. But, but you get the idea. Okay. He's saying, listen, Paul is saying that, that uh, the faith really is something that you can engage your mind with. It's not just about feeling. It's not that feelings are bad, and we should have feelings. And I will tell you, I, I like feelings. I like the feelings that I have for Jackie. And I like the feelings that I have when I'm eating Cheetos. Now, they're different, but they're both good. Okay? I like those things. And by the way, the logic of eating Cheetos, of course, I'm, I'm fully engaged in emotional rationalism when I'm eating Cheetos. This is just a different kind of broccoli, okay? That's what, it, it's, that's what I'm telling myself. Anyway, you get the idea, right? We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind, okay? 
And the positive outcome of this mind transformation by the gospel of Jesus is, then the last part of verse 2, discernment, wisdom, the spirit, guided ability, the guided ability to not be cowed or manipulated by the world or false teaching. Now, you may say, why are you belaboring this? I thought we were going to hear about spiritual gifts. It's, the reason I'm belaboring it is because this is the context of Paul's entree into his discussion of the spiritual gifts in Romans. So now we get to get to that. Look at 3 through 5 now again. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Okay. So verse 3, on the heels of looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 last week, we can see that Paul is still concerned about the misuse and misapplication of the spiritual gifts. We need to remember that Paul wrote uh, to the church in Rome about 18 months after he finished 2 Corinthians. So I'm guessing that he still had some of this stuff on his mind. Now, he doesn't devote a whole chapter to it. It's just a couple of verses, but he's still trying to uh, warn them not to misuse or misapply the gifts. So the first thing he says is, in effect, the gifts and grace of God has been given to you should never, ever, ever be a source of pride or a tool to favorably compare yourself to anyone else. Literally, the Greek says that you and I should not be high-minded when it comes to our gifts. We should not be high-minded. Okay? Rather, we are to think of ourselves with sober judgment. You see those words there, sober judgment. The word sober literally means to be wise and sensible, to have a realistic understanding of reality, and not to live under the influence of something other than the Spirit. Okay? Now, Paul says something very similar in um, Ephesians chapter 5. He says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. That, in other words, the wise person is constantly trying to figure out what the will of God is and submit their life to it. And then right after that, he says, therefore, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, some people will say, oh, Paul suddenly remembered as he's writing to Ephesus there were people there that were drinking too much wine. Oh, I forgot about those guys. I got to remind them. No, he, wine is representative. It's a, it's a rhetorical device. Wine is a representative for anything that you might live your life under the influence of other than the Holy Spirit. He says, if you're living your life under the influence of anything, um, the influence of wealth, the influence of power, the influence of wine, the influence of, I've heard people say, well, I drink beer, so I'm off the hook there. You know, no, you're missing the point. Okay, you're missing the point. And it's not that wine is bad or wealth is bad or power is bad. If it was meth, yes, we would say that's bad. But, but you understand, he's saying, no, you have to live your life under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing here. Be wise and sensible, have a realistic understanding of reality. And verses 4 through 5 is a summation of the long metaphor Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 about how we are one body united with many diverse members who have many different spiritual gifts, all given to us by the one uh, Spirit of God. So in just those two verses, he summarizes uh, a big chunk of 1 Corinthians start, uh, chapter 12. Then, 6 through 8. 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in, a, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads uh, with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So again, notice Paul reiterates the differences in how God has graced us in the manifestation, in the giving and the manifestation of the spiritual gifts. Now, I think this is interesting. The, the word for grace and the word for gifts in the New Testament is charis. It's the same, it's the same word. So uh, Paul, Paul is trying to make the point that what God has gifted you with, this spiritual gift, is from his grace. So you see that. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a mandate, but Paul here is calling us to use the gifts. It's not a mandate. It's a grace of God. But he's saying, since he's done this for you, he's going to call us uh, to, to use them. Here's how one pastor and author says, says it about verses 6 through 8 in Romans 12. He says, for God's sake, use your gifts. You, so he has the gift of exhortation. He has the gift of, of encouragement. So he says, if prophecy is your gift, what's the gift of prophecy? It's the ability to know God's word and uniquely apply it with wisdom to those in the faith community. He says, he says, go ahead and help people in the church. Use your gift of prophecy to see how may they be going down a path that will not end well. If service is your gift, we defined that last week as helping or helps. This is the person who has an unusually passionate heart for selflessly meeting the needs of others. He says, if you have this gift, Paul says, for crying out loud, serve, help. If teaching is your gift, again, remember from last week, defined quite simply as the ability to teach God's word in a way that unusually helps people to understand God's word and apply it to their lives. Paul says, if you have this gift, dig in, research, study, and teach. By the way, Tom used to say all the time, uh, we can tell really quickly if somebody has this, the, gift of, uh, the spiritual gift of teaching. It says we give them a room with 50 people for a weekly Bible study, and if by week five they have five people in there, they don't have the gear, spiritual gift of teaching. Okay? If exhortation is your gift, now this is a new one. We didn't define it last week. The gift of exhortation is also known as the gift of encouragement, and it comes from the Greek word parakaleo which means to call out, push forward, instill confidence, and bring comfort to somebody in the faith community. To call out, push forward, instill confidence, and bring comfort to someone in the faith community. This is done often by personal testimony, but it's also done through the application of God's word. Anyway, if parakaleo is your gift, Paul says, start talking. If generosity is your gift, here's another new one we didn't talk about last week. Now again, all Christians, all Christ followers are called to be generous. But there is this higher level gift of generosity. Just like all Christians are called to evangelism. We're all called to tell people about Jesus. But God has gifted some to be especially unique and effective at, at evangelism. The gift of generosity is the special combination of having the heart and the resources to liberally meet uh, the needs of both the church and specific members in the church. Paul says, if you have this gift, use it liberally. Uh, if you have the gift of leadership, another one not talked about last week. In one or another sense, we are all destined to lead something. Would you agree with that? 
We're, we're all destined to lead something. How many of you lead one or more people at work? How many of you have children? How many of you have a husband? <laughs> Just for you, Ryan. <laughs> okay, you, you, all of us are going to lead something, okay? But some people have been gifted by God to simply know and understand how to lead the best way they, uh, possible. In other words, they know when to speak, how to speak, and when not to speak. I've talked about this before. Uh, is leadership an art or a science? Yes, the answer is yes. It's both. Um, you can learn the science of leadership. So John Maxwell's book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, is a uh, very famous book about the science of leadership. So you can take an average leader and have that person apply those 21 laws of leadership and they will become a better than average leader. But to be a truly gifted leader, you also have to have the art side. That's, that's that instinct um, that, that timing, it's, again, I'll say it this way, it's, uh, you can give somebody who does not have the gift of timing, uh, you can give them the best stand-up comedy material in the world, and they're not funny. You can take Jim Gaffigan's material, how many of you like Jim Gaffigan? I like Jim Gaffigan. You can take Jim Gaffigan's material and give it to me, not going to be funny. You understand that? Okay, there's this, there's this extra level of just uh, this... Being able to read a room, the intuition, the timing, all of that stuff um, that some people have. It's the same thing with the gift of leadership. The gift of leadership is someone who has a high level of discernment and courage to be able to make difficult decisions and to effectively communicate them to the faith community in a way that makes them want to follow. So again, Paul says, if you're a leader, for God's sakes, lead. Okay? And if mercy is your gift, yet another one not mentioned last week, mercy is... Uh, uh, the gift of mercy is for someone who has been uh, given by God an extra measure of two things. One would be empathy. Again, I think we, as Christ followers, we should all have some measure of empathy. But some people just have, have it oozing out of their ears. And uh, a person with uh, the gift of mercy can easily intuit and identify one who is suffering. They can walk into a room and know who's in trouble. Okay? And then... They have the ability to comfort, to encourage, to sit with, and to help that person. So uh, availability and a non-anxious presence often accompanies this gift. So Paul says that if you have the gift of mercy, put a big smile on your face and dive in. Now, remember, this section on spiritual gifts comes right after Paul says that because of the gospel, this is how we are to live. And he says, for God's sakes, use your gifts. And then look what he writes in the next uh, four or five verses, nine through 13. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Now remember, context, context, context. Context is really important. He says, let love be genuine. It's the same as last week. The spiritual gifts must first and foremost be exercised from a position, from an ethos, and, and from a gathering of love. And love in many ways is the opposite of pride. Okay? Genuine love is bathed in humility and submission. And then he says, abhor what is evil. 
Using your spiritual gifts in a way that smacks of pride and superiority is not evidence of a mind that is renewed and transformed by the gospel. It is something that is actually evil. It says, love one another in a way that honors and builds up the other. Um, It's that old saying that you can get so much more done for the good of everybody if no one's concerned about who gets the credit. Have you heard that before? Okay. And it's true. Now, in Paul's context, he would say, well, there is somebody who should be getting the credit, and that would be Jesus. But still, and that's true, but you, but, but you get the idea. Okay? If, if, I'm, if I'm only concerned with making sure that I get all the credit for what happens on Sunday morning with the music, that's a problem. By the way, I will tell you this. This is fascinating to me. The number of people who will come up and tell me what a great job Tyler Thompson or Malia Rogers or somebody is doing is fascinating to me because I'm like, how about telling them? Oh, no, I'll just let you tell them. Okay. Okay. Triangulation isn't good in any possible, in any context, but I mean, you know, they'd really like to hear that from you, you know, and I appreciate it. I love getting texts saying, oh, the music was great today. How was the preaching? Okay, but... I'm just saying, I'd love to get those texts, but I, I'm telling you, they would like to hear it from, from you. <laughs> um, and then what does it mean to be slothful in zeal? It's just another way of saying, don't be lazy. Don't live in apathy and indifference when it comes to serving the church and serving those who are in the church. And then finally, in the wake of spiritual gift usage, he gives us more imperatives. He says, abide in the Holy Spirit. Allow the Spirit to constantly live in you, to lead you, guide you, and direct. Because here you go. And by the way, John says, test the Spirit. So um, you know it's not the Spirit talking to you if uh, what the Spirit is telling you violates God's Word. Okay. Now, I've heard that a lot. Now, but, but the Spirit told me. Yeah, but what the Spirit is telling you is violating God's word. But the Spirit told me. Okay, maybe it was the Spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Okay, you need to understand that. I figured out, you know, the seven or eight times that I know that God somehow was speaking into my spirit some truth that I needed to hear. And I could tell you some of those stories if you're interested. But I know, I know that it was God because it didn't violate, um, uh, it didn't violate Scripture what I felt like the Spirit was telling me. Uh, I hadn't thought of it, is another reason I knew it was the Holy Spirit. And I, I wasn't really excited about it. <laughs> okay, it was, I hadn't thought of it, and it was a, it was a direction that I, I didn't think I really wanted to take. But that's, that's how I, I knew in all of these different cases where I knew that the Holy Spirit was, um, was talking to me. I mean, directly talking to me in my spirit. So abide in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Serve God. Serve God. And you serve God by serving the church and serving others. Uh, Rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ and his resurrection. Um, And this one goes with the next one. Be patient when life is difficult. So those two go together. Being patient and perseverant, those are two sides of the same coin. Uh, persevering is when you believe that God is calling you to keep going. Patience is having the um, perseverance to not do anything when you really want to do something. But you know that the Holy Spirit is holding you back. 
And when life is very difficult, we have the tendency to uh, either shy away from perseverance or to shy away from patience, to do what's just comfortable for us. Uh, but really, as we're doing that, we need to rejoice in the hope uh, that we have in Christ in his resurrection. Uh, pray without ceasing. He says that also in First Thessalonians. He says the same thing. So obviously, uh, you people think, well, pray. Okay, so when I pray, I close my eyes and I bow my head. Okay, how do I do that when I'm driving? Well, you live in Phoenix. That's the way most people drive in Phoenix in the first place. But um, it, it isn't literally praying. It's having a constant attitude of prayer, having a con this idea that you're constantly, uh, as you're engaging in things, trying to uh, understand how the Spirit might respond to it. I will tell you that the more I've been able to do that, and I, I have these conversations with Trey a lot. Trey is, what, 28, 29? And, and it's interesting to me, I've, I've, I've teased Trey a number of times about being a 60-year-old trapped in a 28-year-old's body, okay? But there's a lot of truth in that, in that he, he has um, learned and discerned and has uh, begun to conquer things at his age that I feel like I just started to sort of get a handle on in the last five years. And so I'm looking at him going, if you've already got that stuff figured out and you're not even 30 yet, I can't wait to see what God does with you in the next several decades. I mean, I think that's really good. Um, and and it's, it's like there's, there's, a, there's a part of me. I mean, I've known Christ since I was 27. There's a part of me that feels like, gosh, I wish I knew then what I know now. And I understood then what I know now, which is the fact that um, I'm a lot more patient in the marketplace when I'm connected to the spirit, when I'm not thinking about me. It's amazing how much more patient I am uh, in, in the marketplace and in traffic and those kinds of things, recognizing that I can't do anything about it anyway, you know, and maybe God's trying to teach me something. Now, I will admit I still haven't gotten to the point where I'm gonna work on my patience by only driving in the right lane on the freeway. I still haven't been able to do that, okay? Um, <laughs> Chuck Swindoll wrote a book once and said, here's a way you can work on your patience. Only drive in the right lane in the freeway. And I'm, I, I put the book down and tried to get my money back. Anyway, so, um, and then take care of others and be hospitable with what you have. Hospitable and generous with what you have by taking care of others. So that's uh, Romans 12. Any questions or comments before we go? Yes? Is hospitality a gift? Uh, I believe so. Um, it, it's listed here in, in 12, but it's, there, it's, it's uh, translated many different ways. And you notice how I slipped in generosity there. It's, it's this idea of being, of being lavish with the things that God has given you. Uh, so we think of hospitality as, well, I got to open up my house and let people come over. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. You know, it's, it's sharing what you have with others uh, for their benefit, essentially. So, yeah. Other comments or questions? Anything? So do you just run straight over to the HOV lane and get the highway? <laughs> Not one exit. An exit and a half and I might make my way over. <laughs> um, I don't use the HOV lane, you know, during those restricted hours if I'm alone. Um, I, I did have a, a statue in my passenger's... <laughs> No, I didn't. Um, I will tell you, though, if I'm at a meeting in Gilbert and it's getting close to 2.30, I'm trying very hard to wrap up the meeting 
because the HOV uh, lane gets restricted at three o'clock. <laughs> and getting back to Phoenix is, can be a nightmare from Gilbert if you can't get into that lane. So yeah, sure. I'm happy to admit <laughs> that I'm an HOV lane user, yes. Is prison ministry a spiritual gift? Uh, no. Um, there's, there's mercy, but uh, that could be applied to anything. But uh, spiritual uh, um, prison ministry for me was a, was a very strict calling. Um, I think I've told m- most of you in here know that, that story. Uh, when I felt like I was being called into pastoral ministry uh, 24, 25 years ago at Paradise Valley Community Church, um, and it was the second time the church had come to me and said, I turned them down the first time. The second time they came to me and said, we want you to be the lead pastor here. And I said, well, I've really got to pray about it. I finally came to the conclusion. Some of you have heard this story. I finally said to God, I said, all right, look, I feel like this is what you're calling me to do, but I need to make you a deal. Anybody ever made a deal with God? <laughs> yeah. So I said, I'll, I'll make you a deal. Um, I'll go into pastoral ministry if I don't ever have to do prison ministry because that sounds like a lot of work and no return on investment. Deal? And in my mind, God said deal. Okay. <laughs> so about two months later, between services at PVCC, this lady walked up to me and she said, Pastor Frank, my name is Leslie Baranzini. I moved down here, just moved down here from Washington State. My husband's wrapping up his career selling the house and going to move down here too. I've decided this is the church we're going to go to. Uh, our 19-year-old son is in prison in Florence. He just uh, got sentenced there to five years. Um, I want uh, you to um, start writing him letters, and I want you to um, uh, apply to the Dep- Arizona Department of Corrections for uh, clergy <coughs> passes and blah, 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 blah. And it was the second time in my life that I remember having... Um, uh, uh, facial management techniques <laughs> being used, you know, because on the outside I was like this, and on the inside I was like, get this lady away from me. I thought we had a deal, Dad, you know, and so, all right, whatever, you know, sure, and I sort of grudgingly wrote it, the first letter, and he responded, and we started having this relationship. I applied uh, for my clergy um, credentials and got that done, and uh, next thing you know, I'm visiting this guy, we're writing, we become really good friends, and uh, when he got out, I ended up uh, officiating his, his wedding. His parents attended our church for a, a long, long time. And then um, uh, he's the guy that introduced me to the prison artists, Charlie uh, Robeson and Joe Camara. Uh, and Charlie's been out now for seven years. You see their paintings around the church here, Charlie and Joe's paintings. Um, Charlie's been out for about seven years. Their family's attending Redemption Tempe now, so they've gone over to the dark side. Um, (laughs) But they live way out in the East Valley. Um, And then Joe attends here. So Joe got out uh, Super Bowl Sunday, not this past year, but the year before. So this last Super Bowl Sunday was his one-year anniversary being out. He lived with us, Jackie and I, for nine months after he got out. Then he got his own place, a place that Terry Temnick owns, if you know Terry. So he's living there, and he's engaged, and they're going to get married on March 11th, and I'm going to officiate his wedding as well. Anyway, all that to say, um, I was called into prison ministry. It was not necessarily a gift. I was specifically called into it um, by God breaking his deal with me. So God's a deal breaker. Um, so anyway, that's, that's how I, and, and I'm glad he did. I, it's been fantastic. I met with Malia today. Um, Malia used to lead 
the praise teams down to uh, the units in Florence prison to when I would go down there and preach or Cody would go down there and preach, uh, she would leave the music teams down there and, and lead uh, in the worship. And, and I'll tell you, in prison, in, it's interesting. First of all, they'll take as many songs as they can get. So we'd do seven or eight songs. And then when you preach in prison, people talk back to you in the nicest ways. I mean, they're yelling and cheering and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's really very different than uh, a lot of other contexts. Anyway, it's a calling, I think, not necessarily a gift. Um, and I'm glad that God put me through that discipline. I'm really glad. Um, Malia really wants to get back into the prisons. I can't get anybody in the prisons to respond anymore. It's like COVID has been a special gift to uh, the Department of Corrections in order to help keep people out. I, I can't interpret it any other way because I just feel like that's what they're doing now. Is it's, it's just easier on the, on, the, on the administration to not have to deal with that anymore. But I'm still writing a bunch of guys in prison. So I keep trying, hey, we'd love to come down and do a service. We'd love to bring a team down, blah, blah, blah. And they keep ghosting me. So anyway, we did have a, um, we did have a chaplain down there, Samuel Lee, for a number of years who, um, uh, who was really enthusiastic about us coming down. And maybe it's just that it's a different chaplain now and, and uh, he's just not that interested in us doing that. Um, in the... Um, uh, in, in the Florence prison, in the um, level two yard down there south, Florence South, um, they actually have an incredible music team uh, down there. Um, very talented musicians down there, have had for years and years and years. I went down there one time to preach without the band, and they had a men's choir. And there were like 50 guys in this choir, and they sounded incredible. But they also have a bunch of instrumentalists and, and vocalists and all that stuff. And one guy, um, uh, Paul Cole, uh, who um, uh, they, they have pads now and they have access to, I'm way off topic here, but I want to tell you this. They have, they have pads now, so they have some access to the Internet, some monitored access to the Internet. But they're allowed to go on Spotify and listen to stuff and buy songs. And he went on Spotify and listened to the new Arcadia Worship Infinite album and immediately said, I need the chord charts and the lyrics for all 10 songs because we're going to start doing those uh, down there. So, and by the way, that album has been getting play on Spotify enough that it's being put, it's in their algorithms now for people who just put in worship music. So we're getting songs just randomly put into worship mixes now from Arcadia Worship. So that's pretty cool too. Yeah, so... And we're getting like checks for $3.78 for royalties every month. So the sacred space, it's all paid for now from that one album. All right, Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. So notice again, in chapter 4, Paul says, I therefore. So here he goes. He's, he's going from the gospel part the doctrinal part of the letter to the praxis part. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we'll stop there. So this should be familiar now. Therefore, he says, now the application. He says he's a prisoner of the Lord. That's actually a double entendre. He's literally in prison in Rome, writing from Rome to the church in Ephesus. But he's also a prisoner for the Lord. The Lord has captured him. And he is now submitted fully to the Lord and serving him. So it's a uh, a double entendre. And then you see that language there. Worthy of the manner to which you have been called. And then he, um, he uses some descriptors, some characteristics of that worthiness. And they are humility and gentleness, patience, long suffering and love. And then he talks about the unity again. The Ephesians uh, list of diverse gifts is coming. We're going to get to that in just a second. But here Paul reminds us that even though there's a diversity of the gifts, the grace that God gives us, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, and one Father. And yet, verse 7, a different charis, a different gift has been given to each of us by the singular grace of God. We, you know, we have an intern in our worship uh, team now. Uh, have you met her, Karis? I love that. I love, I love that that's her name because I look at her and I just go, oh, she's gift or grace. You know, she's a gift of grace. Anyway, uh, she's going to be leading our, um, uh, our Ash Wednesday services. And I think it was two Sundays ago she actually led us. Uh, Malia was leading from behind on the, on the keyboards, but Karis was actually... Uh, leading us. So now, verses 11 through 14. And he, the Spirit, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So, five gifts he lists here. Apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, shepherding, and teaching. We discussed apostleship last week. It's not a first century apostle. It's just the unusual ability uh, to go into places where the gospel has not been proclaimed and be able to proclaim it in a way that connects with people. We've talked about prophecy. uh, The understanding of Uh, God's word and looking at somebody's life trajectory and saying this is where you're going to end up that's the gift of prophecy evangelism uh, sharing Jesus with people proclaiming the gospel in a unique and unusually good way or or effective way and teaching being able to teach God's word in a way that helps people apply it to their lives but what about shepherding that's a new one shepherding it's also known as sometimes it's translated as pastoring So pastoring is a gift. Shepherding is a gift. It's the unique ability that God gives some to not only be able to lead, serve, and minister to people one-on-one, but also to lead a large group or a congregation of believers with love and the heart of a servant. Okay? But then again, I just, I got to hit this one more time. Next, in the context of using and manifesting these five gifts, The spiritual gifts are for the equipping of the saints, the equipping of Christians to be the church, and the spiritual gifts are for the building up of the body. They're for the building up of the community of faith. Um, In social science, we study culture. That's one of the things we study. And we study the difference 
the, the sort of the, uh, the differences in cultures. And there's, there are cultures that are known as collectivist cultures and there are cultures that are known as individualistic cultures. And in a collectivist culture, it's marked by, generally, marked by cooperation. People cooperate with each other. In an individualistic culture, it's marked generally by competition. People compete with each other. Uh, what do you think the United States culture is? <laughs> Not a real cooperative culture, but uh, the church should be a cooperative culture, one that, where we cooperate with, with each other. Okay? Paul is calling us to cooperate. Uh, the word is often translated as harmony. We are to be in harmony, to work in harmony with one another. And, and of course, harmony is, is the idea of different parts coming together to form a beautiful sound. Okay? And that we are to be of one mind. So that idea of being of one mind reminds me of Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 uh, through 30. In fact, let me just... Let me just read that to you. He says, uh, Paul writes in Philippians 1, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So there it is again. Let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Not frightened at anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that, from, and that from God. For it has been granted uh, to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that, I, uh, that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So he talks about being of one mind in Philippians chapter one as well. So the spiritual gift should result in unity, in knowing God, and in spiritual maturity, or at least a desire for spiritual maturity. And then these three things, so unity, spiritual maturity, and knowing God, would lead to the important ability to remain steadfast in the midst, in the midst of constantly changing winds of both the dogma of the world, which again we talked about on January 15th, and the false doctrines and false teachings that we often find in the church. So the proper manifestation of spiritual gifts actually helps us with that. It helps us to be counter-cultural in the sense that we're not necessarily fighting against culture, but we're different than the world's culture, which we will talk about next week when we get into um, uh, Peter's epistles. And this is all part of uh, you and I walking in a manner worthy of our calling in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So next week we're going to look at um, Peter's passage on the spiritual gifts. There's only a couple of gifts, but it's an important passage uh, to understand. We're going to look at that, and then we're also going to talk about our own giftedness. And, and Tyler's going to be, Tyler James is going to be here. We're going to have the TV out here, and we're going to have uh, one or two of you will actually go on and um, take the spiritual gift inventory. It'll take a little while, but I would encourage you all, while the one person is doing it up here for everybody to see, <laughs> um, I would encourage you all to bring your phone or your iPad or a computer or whatever, and we can give you those links uh, as well, and we can all kind of do it together and, and discover our spiritual gifts together. I'll let you know what uh, mine are next week, too. I've already taken both inventories, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that then as well. Any, any questions or comments as we close? Yeah. Well, I've heard uh, there in verse 11 that those, some people teach that those are offices. 
It can be both an office and a spiritual gift. Um, but he's talking about those there in the context of spiritual gifts. He's, he's, he keeps using that word charis and, and the faith that God has given you. And so it's more about <clears throat> notice that elder and deacon are not listed there. So if it was just offices, they would certainly uh, episkopos, um, uh, an overseer, and a diaconos, uh, a deacon would be mentioned there as well. Yes? Um, I know I always look at the red font in my Bible. Uh huh. Um, that's as far as I can tell, it did not come uh, directly, it didn't come directly from Jesus. Uh, and it only comes directly once we get into the New Testament letters. Uh, after the church has been established and, and uh, they're able to observe how the church works. Um, but uh, Jesus does talk in general about serving the community and about having faith, the faith to be able to hang in there with the community and, and do what's best for the community. So in a, in a general way, he talks about that. Okay, yeah, Luke. Uh, the book of Revelation is, is Jesus actually telling John, you need to write this down. So it's the resurrected Christ who has come to uh, John uh, on the island of Patmos. And he says, okay, I have some letters that you need to write these seven churches. And then I'm going to tell you these things that are eventually going to take place. And that's when he goes into, you know, uh, chapter 4 through 22. Uh, which again, uh, I will let you all know that we are doing Revelation this fall, 12 weeks in Revelation. And um, when I first heard that we had uh, started talking about putting that on the, on the preaching calendar, I did say, please, 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 let's not tell people we're doing Revelation and then just do the first three chapters. Let's actually do Revelation. And so we are. It's only going to be 12 weeks, so we're going to have to cover a lot of ground each week. But, but we're doing it. So, as I said uh, recently, just in time for the 2024 election. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's Jesus actually telling John what is to come. First, what's wrong in the churches. And those, those seven letters are really applicable to us today as well. But then he's also saying, and now these are the things to come. And then trying to decipher that symbolism is really interesting and not easy. Um, as I understand it, John Calvin... Uh, there are 66 books in the Bible, in the Protestant Bible, anyway. John Calvin wrote commentaries on 65 of the books. He did not write one on Revelation. Apparently, he decided he just wasn't going to tackle that one. So, so interesting. So, it's a good thing there's, you know, uh, me and Tyler Thompson and Tyler James. We'll take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Any other questions? All right. Uh, is, uh, is women's study tomorrow morning? Yes. Okay. So some of you, hopefully, will be back here tomorrow morning. Good. Okay. Well, let me pray. And uh, some of you will see tomorrow morning, and others of you will see on Sunday. Uh, Lord God, thank you for your word and its truth, and thanks for um, helping us to understand this uh, uh, really important part of your, your, your gospel, your doctrine. And so I just pray that... Uh, 
Um, next week, Ash Wednesday, would be meaningful to us. And then the following week when we take these spiritual gift inventories, that would also be a revelation to us. Uh, and that we would abide in Paul's exhortation to please, for God's sake, use our gifts in the church. So um, I just pray that we'd be able to apply that to our lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here, y'all.